The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, we've got our hosts on, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, but like with all of our military, our veteran shows, our first responder shows, we start out with um, a silent prayer and thinking about all those that have given the ultimate sacrifice and are on the line today. And uh, we'll be back right after a couple of minutes of silence. Thank you for that. And we also like to make sure that everybody that's tuned in is in good health. And uh, the way we do that is we get those hearts pumping for sure. And uh, I only know one way to do it, and it used to work for me. Come to the dormitory after ten. Come to the dormitory after ten. Make us clean it up again. Make us clean it up again. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I don't know, but it's been said. I don't know, but it's been said uh, that a Joni will get you through and make sure that you're not dead. So. Anyway, we have our Jodies, we have our moment of silence, and we've got our host, Philip Forsberg, on the line with us. Good morning, Philip. Hello, David. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. As long as I'm on top of it and vertical, I'm a happy camper. When you get to be my age, uh, you have to. You don't want to look at any roots. You'll be taking the dirt nap. That's right. That's right. So, uh, the Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and, you know, I I was with some folks the other day that, and we're going to wind up doing a show probably called 
we're not sure about the title, but it'll be all about memories. And uh, the 4th of July for me, that's all it was, was memories and uh, of past 4th of Julys. And I, I guess for many, many veterans, uh, that's what it's all about, is memories. And you think of Desert Shield and you think of Desert Storm and the folks that the vets that were participants in Desert Shield and Desert Storm they have the memories of being called up going on active duty and uh, going into a rather warm place that they might have questioned where they had been sent but um they have memories today, and it's important from my perspective, or I feel like it's important, that all the world, all the country, the United States, should remember those that served. And we're calling on folks to serve today. And uh, again, if you've raised your hand and you've gone in, then it's just justice that two years down the road or in Desert Shield, Desert Storm's case, 30 years down the road, that people remember and remember why you were there. And um, I remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm very well. And the grotesque things that a man named Saddam Hussein did and he deserved to be eliminated, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, people need to realize he was the one that started it. And the United States, like in many cases, on the right side, finished it. So, with that being said, over to you, Phil. Well, thank you, David. Yeah, um you know, uh, there was there was honor in being uh, a soldier in the Army of the United States, but uh, I don't. You know, there's there's no honor in being a soldier uh, in an army that invades a neighbor and brutalizes a population and robs and rapes and destroys things uh, for just you know for for their own gain um, there's no honor in that and it's true in, in uh, what happened in Kuwait and it's true about what's happening in, in uh, uh, Ukraine right now and what I'm afraid may happen uh, in Taiwan but um, you know uh, as I've said on other occasions, we had young men from Kuwait whose uh, whose families had been robbed and their fathers killed and their mothers and sisters raped uh, that were actually uh, served uh, as interim soldiers in the U.S. Army as linguists because we needed uh, translation of uh, the intercept we had. Uh, you know, we we didn't have Arabic linguists in our unit. Our our unit was. Uh, had Russian and uh, German and uh, 
Czech and Polish translators, but we did not have Arabic because of the area of the world that uh, we were focused on. And um, so, if you recall, uh, for maybe our, some of our younger listeners don't recall that back in the uh, late 1980s, there was still a Soviet Union and there was still uh, half of Germany plus uh, Poland, Czechoslovakia uh, were all um, you know under the thumb of the Russians. So, um, in any event, uh, so we, we had these young Iraq, uh, young uh, Kuwaiti men that were uh, serving as linguists for us and uh, it, you know, it just kind of invigorated us to know that we were going to give them their country back uh, and going to drive out the invaders that had so uh, abused them and so uh, there was, was a point of pride in that um, and uh, it, it did uh, energize us quite a bit um, and I, I know I can recall when, when they captured Saddam and and, uh, and then eventually hung him you know nobody cried for him him and his uh, his two sons who were you know similar gangsters and criminals and uh, you know the, the people of Iraq had suffered a great deal under them they were very brutal uh, toward anybody they perceived as a you know a threat to their power and that, that's the way tyrants operate and um, we see vestiges of it here in the U.S. with certain leaders and their sons but uh, in any event um, yeah, we, it was uh, quite good to uh, to give them their country back. And uh, what I liked best about it was uh, going home and the fact that it was a, it was a, a kind of a short deployment. Uh, I'm not sure anybody expected we'd be there for. Well, I was there just at six months, and um, you know, I, I can recall. Uh, for instance, I guess at the time, uh, Colin Powell was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he had uh, he had warned not to go, and it was going to be a bloodbath, and we were going to suffer, you know, uh, thousands of casualties. And I can recall the uh, at one point I ran into some folks from the from Air Force Heavy Construction Unit. I asked them what they were building, and he said they were building a morgue. And this is before the, the war started. Uh, but apparently they, they were expecting vast numbers of casualties. And, um, well, best I could tell, Saddam had a bluff. You know, he, he'd come in with uh, with his thugs and his Soviet equipment. And it um, wasn't very hard for us to deal with. I don't... Well... As uh, we've out in the past, you weren't fighting a general. You were fighting a narcissistic individual that thought he knew everything about everything, and uh, he w- he wasn't worthy of shining Schwarzkopf's boots, and he didn't realize that he didn't know what he was talking about, didn't know how to uh, handle it, and uh, 
obviously, from my standpoint, if the if he had real soldiers that were trained, he wasn't either. He wasn't listening to them, or they didn't know what they were doing either. I don't want to denigrate the the fighting qualities of the Iraqi soldiers, uh, but they, you know, a, a soldier relies on three things in combat: his leadership, his equipment, and his training. And uh, I don't think they had good leaders. Uh, I don't think they had uh, good training. And uh, as far as equipment, you know, they had. Uh, off the rack Soviet export stuff and uh, maybe Saddam has spent a bunch of time reading the brochures from Moscow about you know how capable and great this equipment was but uh, uh, well we made short work of it you know the first thing we did well you know we got busy in, in the OV-1 Mohawks uh, as soon as we got there in October we started flying missions and we developed an entire database of all where uh where his troop concentrations were out in the desert, when they moved, what times of day they moved, uh, what their main supply routes were. And, uh, and then we, uh, also, uh, were able to fly aircraft that were being painted by their radars. And so we cataloged and, uh, we cataloged, located, uh, identified each of their radars, uh, in our database and then uh and then when they would talk on the radio uh we had a voice intercept and we were locating the transmitters and doing a, an, an analysis of their uh radio net network and uh so we were able to overlay the uh the uh troop concentrations with the radars with the uh network communications and identify a complete picture of where all of his people were and who they were, what their capabilities were, and then uh, when he let, uh, basically when he ignored the last warning to get out of Kuwait uh, we unleashed first with uh, <clears throat> with our uh, fast movers that blew up all of his transmitters uh, his radar transmitters uh, next, we, we uh, flew over with uh, our B-52s that were flying all the way from Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean, uh, far from any, uh, you know, uh, Scud missiles that he could launch. They were, they were parked over in the Indian Ocean. And uh, so they would go in, in flights of three, and from my cockpit, I would watch and look. You know, the B-52 has eight engines. That means eight contrails times three aircraft. These flight of three. So these enormous streaks of uh, white across the, the crystal clear blue sky. And uh, I remember turning to uh, my enlisted observer that was flying with me and just saying, somebody's going to get hurt. And uh, they would fly their missions and drop their ordinance right where we knew they were and they fly back to Diego Garcia get some more gas some more bombs get ready to go again we finally sent our uh, our ground troops in uh, some of my soldiers were embedded with them 
And uh, they brought back reports to me. They said, sir, those guys weren't dropping bombs, you know, blind in the desert. There was body parts everywhere. Hmm. So when we started, we went in with our uh, <clears throat> with our ground forces. Of course, uh, then of course we sent our uh, they sent the 101st Airborne Division with uh, hundreds of helicopters lifting the entire division about 100 150 kilometers inside uh, Saddam's rear area, and then uh, and then cut loose. Uh, uh, all the assets, the first cavalry division, the uh, you know uh, all the units we had sent there from Germany. We had artillery out of Fort Sill, um, and we had uh, you know the Tiger Brigade of the Second Armored Division. Had Tiger Brigade of the Second Armored Division was the last division, uh, well, last brigade of that division that was still together as they were drawing down for some reason the Second Armored Division. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, they they were just one one tank brigade basically, and uh, we uh, just handed them over to the Marines. Uh, so they provided the M1 Abrams uh, support for the Marines as they went up into Kuwait City, took the airport, and uh, of course it was just uh, just kind of a beautiful operation. Uh, the Navy provided a lot of fast movers off their carriers, and also. Uh, struck a lot of important targets with Tomahawk cruise missiles. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, just a big uh, live fire exercise for us. And uh, and the most uh, stirring thing about it uh, to make us uh, successful and to get us uh, uh, able to cut through like a, a hot knife through cold warm butter, uh, you know, uh, President Bush had come over and told us that uh, we didn't have to stay there until the mission was done, and so as soon as, or as soon as the mission was done, we could go home. So that energized everybody just to get in there and um, put the whoop ass on them, and uh, that's my story. <laughs> and and a and a good one. And you know, this is the thing that uh, has me concerned today. And maybe you can uh, relieve some of my concerns, but uh, I never, never worried about under the Bush certainly the Reagan administration, and then the Bush administrations, and and certainly Trump's administration. I was never concerned. That there wasn't a plan, and that the people in front of him and behind our president at the time, they were charged with, and they had a plan. And we didn't go into, in my opinion, and I wasn't there, but in my opinion, we didn't go into... Desert Shield and Desert Storm and saying, hey, Ralph, what do we do next? Hey, George, where do we go from here? We went in with Um, a plan. And it was all calculated. And this is what worries me today with this administration. 
I don't think they have a plan for getting up in the morning. Um, it's a little troubling. Um, and I, you know, I, I do wonder, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't wonder about, uh, President Biden because, you know, here's a man who's never heard a shot fired in anger, doesn't know anything about the military, um, uh, doesn't really know anything about anything other than enriching himself on um, uh, the expense of public and our national security. But, uh, <clears throat> but I worry, you know, and I wonder about the, uh, the leadership, our military leadership, uh, you know, knowing what they know, uh, how in the world could they possibly, um, think that, uh, you know, what's happening is that somehow, um, you know, without consequence, uh, the, the, the policies they're instituting, uh, you know, they've, they're kind of like the, the folks at uh, Anheuser-Busch that thought that the, um, the Bud Light uh, campaign with uh, Dylan Mulvaney uh, shaking around like a little girl. Uh, would encourage uh, sales. You know, they they have the same uh, uh, approach to military recruiting, and they're wondering why they can't. Nobody w- wants to even give them the time of day. No self-respecting young man is, has any interest in uh, in serving, um, and I, I can't blame them. No, and that's not what. You sign up for, and I, and this is what I'm saying, is that there's no plan, there's no, you know, let me ask, uh, uh, in my former life, um, I I think this, and they've certainly publicized it enough, uh, this, I, I'm trying to be nice, and this yelling coming back from China. And have, well, let me ask, did you ever go on any kind of mission? Did you walk out that door before you had a briefing? Have we done away with briefings? And this yelling coming back from China and and the criticism about bowing and all, did they not have a briefing with that lady before she left? Well, you know, the folks in charge are, are rank amateurs. They don't, uh, they don't understand the importance of, uh, of statecraft. They don't understand the implications of showing weakness to our adversaries. Um, uh, it kind of reminds me of the days when uh, Jimmy Carter was asking his uh, somewhat mentally challenged uh, nine-year-old daughter Amy about uh, nuclear policy. Um, I, I can't imagine the howls of laughter that were going through the Kremlin at that time. But uh, yeah, our, our 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 nation's enemies are are having a field day at this time. In my opinion, at our expense, and yeah. 
I, you know, I just, you, know, you look at what's in, in upper positions in this administration and it's hard not to uh, just shake your head and hope we survive. And just like you said, um, Biden has never served a day in the military and would have, and his worthless son has served less than a day, if you can do that. Uh, no, his, his son, uh, his son, uh, Hunter. Oh, yeah, he actually, did serve, didn't he? Yeah, he was, uh, he was a commission officer in the Naval Reserve. Um, he, uh, he required, in order for him to serve, required two waivers. He needed one waiver for um, his age because he was beyond uh, the authorized age for commissioning as an ensign in the Navy. And uh, and he needed a second waiver uh, for uh, a previous uh, drug abuse conviction. Uh, and so, uh, and he served in the Naval Reserve right up until the very first year analysis that they did because they do that um, and so uh, yeah he he didn't make the cut um, at that time uh-huh. so uh, he was administratively discharged so that that is the uh, a compendium of the of military history of the uh Biden administration and the Biden family. And there's a reason for all of that. There's a reason they do the year analysis and there's a reason that uh, you don't want someone in that's on drugs because we, from my opinion, I don't care about them but I care about the people that are around them. And that's well, and you know, David. Uh, another thing, I held a uh, top secret clearance uh, for special compartmentalized information, um, and uh, I will tell you that uh, they made no mistake of saying that they wanted to, uh, you know, look at your financial status, and uh, you know, if you were severely in debt. That, that would raise red flags against your uh, your application for a security clearance, and also if you had unexplained wealth, um, you know they, they would be taking a very close look at that. And I think the latest count that uh, James Comer from the House Oversight Committee said that they believe that uh, the ill-gotten gains of the Biden administration through their shell companies and uh, LLCs and intricate money laundering outfits, somewhere approaching $40 million of known amounts these days, right at this point. So I guess uh, I hope that $40 million uh, helps him sleep at night knowing that he's sold out his country. You know, I... I don't think he worries about it, and I don't think he knows that he sold out his country. I think he, just as long as I take care of myself, mm-hmm. to heck with everybody else. 
Yeah, it's a sociopath. Yes, sir. So. Well, but, uh, you know, he'll probably get reelected. Pardon? I said, I'm, I'm guessing he'll get reelected. Um, uh, very little confidence in the, uh, electorate of our country right now. I, uh, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. And, uh, you know, they uh, elected him once, and uh, if we don't wake up and elect him again, then we've sold our wonderful nation down the river. And um, I don't know if we can, at that point, turn the aircraft carrier around in the bathtub. It's going to be a tough uphill battle but on the same token I love this country I love our military I love our military leaders that have their stuff together and if any country could do it our country can it may mean some drastic actions that we never thought would see in this country, but uh, if there's any people, they can go back to the revolution and uh, take it from our forefathers and do what is necessary to be done. We can't continue to go on like we are, and uh, you know it's gonna, it's going to be a cakewalk for our enemies if we're not careful. But, you know, we can't solve everything with one crystal ball. So, with that being said, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and and how important it is uh, to remember these events. What happened? How did we get in? And how did we get out? And uh, I cringe at the thought of what Saddam Hussein did to Kuwait at at the end when he turned it into a field of fire. And <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Saddam Hussein should be dug up and rehung over and over and over again. But anyway, we'll be back right after this. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
And we're certainly glad to have you listening and hope that you'll tell other friends, be they veterans or just friends, that uh, about America's Web Radio. We have some of the most unique programming of any radio station in the country. And we uh, we even have a guy named Victor Armanderos. And Victor... Uh, has been a little bit under the weather, but he'll be back with us tomorrow. And um, when Eric Erickson can't make his own show, many times Victor fills in. So there you got the quality of our host. And we are so proud of Victor and, and all of our hosts, our doctors that do a, you know, our doctors... This is how dedicated our hosts are. Two of our doctors were literally threatened to lose their license because they were on America's Web Radio during the the COVID crisis telling the truth and come to find out everything that they said that they were threatened to lose their license over has been proven true over and over again. And if we had the money, we would go after the cub reporter that had his head misplaced from the Journal-Constitution saying that our doctors were not telling the truth when, in fact, Every word they uttered was the truth, and it's been proven. And, you know, that says a whole lot about people that would put their livelihood on the line. Doctors being threatened to lose their license, being called before boards, and they said, we're right. And they were, and they still are. So they know who they are, and I thank them. And everybody that listens to America's Web Radio should thank them. And they know, and everybody that listens to America's Web Radio should know they get the truth. It's just like with our host, Philip Forsberg, talking about his tours in, in the Middle East during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. What Philip says, you can go, as the old saying said, it used to be, you can go to the bank on it. So, back to you, Philip. Well, uh, you know, David, I don't want to go too far afield from our, our topic, but uh, today I uh, just uh, left a luncheon uh, that honored uh, a veteran uh a guy by the name of uh, Russell Vaudry, and I think many of the folks that uh, that attend this uh, veterans group, uh, we had our lunch in here in uh, in Ackworth, Georgia, uh, at Cowan's Little Mill, uh, and uh, Kevin Marcy, the director of a nearby funeral home that takes care of veterans, he uh, he uh, basically uh, catered the lunch for us. Uh, but today's luncheon was kind of special because we recognized Russell Vaudry. Russell, uh, today was uh, his 101st birthday, 
Wow. And uh, during World War II, he was a flight engineer on a uh, B-24 Liberator in the Pacific Theater. Uh, had been shot down. He and one other member of the crew were the only survivors, and uh, he was able to evade the Japanese. And uh, Russell's a bit of a hero to our little veterans group, and so we were so pleased that, to uh, attend his uh, ceremony today. And um, so, uh, you know, th- those are the kind of people that we need to think about uh, remembering, honoring, um, and uh, so happy birthday to Russell. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask you on his behalf, do you think Russell, if you get him with a few other veterans, could tell only one story? No, I believe uh, Russell has a number of them. Um, these stories are quite old. Of course, I don't think Russell stayed in much past uh, the end of that uh, Second World War. But, you know, it did turn out well. You know, um, how important would it be for him to have I, I start say two or three and, uh, and, I, and my mind is going more like four or five hundred thousand kids listen to his stories and you know the we're we're losing those folks so rapidly and you know the his stories may be old but they're great and that's the same way with our vietnam veterans our korean veterans uh and any of our veterans it doesn't matter when or where they were it's the fact that they were veterans and they can tell our kids about the life of a soldier the life of a wax the life of a of a medic the life of a nurse and these stories pardon me life aboard a submarine oh you said the magic word, Phil. When any when I hear the word submarine, I go claustrophobic. <laughs> I just well, maybe that maybe that wasn't the, the right service for you. <laughs> I uh, I've only been on a couple, and um, even the new nuclear subs that are are huge. And some of them what have basketball courts in them, and uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But they're huge, and uh, but I still, uh, I would go when I heard the when I would if I heard that hatch close, get out of my way. You know, I'm uh, I just I can't take it. And the World War Two subs, oh my goodness, uh, they were tiny. And, uh, but yet, they're history, and our kids, our grandkids, and their grandkids should know the history of 
the Navy, the history of the Marines, the history of the Army, and the Air Force, and what made a hero, and, and how, you know, let me ask, you were in, you were, you served around a lot of folks, did, do you remember ever, ever, in your experience of many years, meeting a guy that said, well, you know, Colonel, I'm going to be a hero, or Colonel, I am a hero. No, I, I can, I can answer that question for myself that, the guy down deep inside that becomes the biggest of the biggest heroes never in his life dreamed that he was going to receive the Medal of Honor or that he was going to be a Medal of Honor recipient or the get a silver star or do this or do that. You know, they just... You don't know what's inside you until you're called upon to to show it. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, probably one of the most stirring stories I've ever uh, read about uh, a veteran's experience was uh, a young man by the name of Roger Young, who uh, grew up in Ohio and was uh, in the late 30s, I guess he wound up joining the, the uh, Ohio National Guard, and uh, he'd had an accident uh, playing basketball when he was uh, in high school, and his, uh, his head uh, hit the floor pretty hard, and you know, he had to kind of cheat on his physical to get in because of his hearing and his vision uh, weren't all that good, and uh, so he wound up in the, um, uh, on an island called New Georgia in the Solomon Island, uh, they, they had promoted him to uh, sergeant, uh, maybe staff sergeant, and uh, they were going to go up against the Japanese. And he went to his uh, company commander and asked to be uh, demoted down to private because he didn't want to be responsible <clears throat> for his men and his squad. Um, because his vision and his hearing were going. And uh, they thought he was malingering. They, and, uh, you know, when they realized, he said, look, you know, I'm not saying I don't want to go on this mission. So I just I just don't want to be in charge. So they so they honored his request. They busted him down to private. And uh, his, uh, <clears throat> his whole platoon was being pinned down by a Japanese in a, in a pillbox. And, uh, he went up at great cost to himself, uh, and tossed grenades in the pillbox, saved his, uh, platoon, but suffered, uh, mortal wounds in the attack. Hmm. <clears throat> when, uh, when I went through, uh, infantry officer basic course at Fort Banning, Georgia, and now it's, uh, called Fort Moore, uh, after Hal Moore, the uh, commander of the 1st Squadron, uh, 7th Cavalry uh, in Vietnam. Uh, uh, but uh, I went through, the, had a range there. Uh, it was the infiltration range where 
five ammunition uh, in your weapon, and you and your buddy would uh, do bounding overwatch while they uh, they fired live uh, M60 machine gun fire over your head. You had obstacles and things to get over. Uh, anyway, that that particular infiltration range was called the Roger Young uh, range, and uh, named after Roger Young, which fellow. And he, uh, they, years after the, uh, the, the incident, he was, uh, given the Medal of Honor. They restored his rank posthumously to, uh, to E6. Uh, so, you know, those, those are the kind of heroes that inspire, uh, people to do great things. But, you know, Roger Young didn't do it to be a hero. But, uh, if you talk to anybody who's been downrange, uh, and you ask about heroes and heroism, uh, they will tell you that the heroes are the guys that didn't come back. You leave me speechless. Um, this is, this is why we, we can't forget a veteran one. We can't forget a war one. And, you know, if if anybody hasn't been, then I certainly highly recommend them going to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And meditate over what that really means and what it means to our country and and the honoring of that unknown soldier and you know there there were over the years so many have died alone and they did it for you and I, and love of country, and you know, how many how many guys have you served with, Phil? That you think, whether it was quote unquote love of country or whatever they, because it's the right thing to do. Probably a lot more than I would give credit to. Uh, you know, you don't know what's going on in these guys' minds. But, you know, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. When we uh, when we deployed. I took uh, I think 236 uh, soldiers with me uh, on the main body when we deployed uh, for Desert Storm, and we had one guy. Uh, that did not show up for movement. And it was not because he um, hadn't gotten the word. It was not because, you know, he didn't know we were leaving for uh, Saudi Arabia that day. It's because he uh, had no intention of honoring his contract. And, you know, uh, so we all deployed. I, I was the commander of the main body at the time, and we went... Uh, 
and uh, found out later on this fella, um, you know, his uh, his particular uh, military occupational specialty was uh, airframe mechanic, and in order, uh, you know, in short, he was a sheet metal guy who could, you know, basically patch up bullet holes in aircraft. It wasn't, you know, we weren't asking him to, uh, you know, uh, attack a Japanese pillbox and throw grenades in there or asking him to charge a machine gun nest or, you know, parachute behind enemy lines. You know, just to come to the theater and our aircraft were well in the rear, you know, and if there was, uh, you know, any kind of combat action or non-combat action that required, uh, you know, airframe repair, it was, uh, it was his job to do it. And, uh, he, uh, he must have been in the, in the Colin Powell crowd that thought we were all going to get a massacre over there or something. So he didn't show up. Well, later on, he wound up, uh, uh, cutting his, his leg while he was cutting wood. He cut, cut his leg and he sought help at the, uh, Darnell Army Community Hospital in Fort Hood where he had deployed from. So, uh, they, uh, <clears throat> they, uh, they patched him up and they, uh, they gave him some stitches and, uh, they gave him some handcuffs and, uh, and they shipped him over to Saudi Arabia so that his command could court martial him for, for, uh, desertion and, uh, you know, of course, we didn't have to put him in uh, any kind of confinement because there's no place to go out there in the desert. If you want to run, go ahead. <laughs> um, but uh, <clears throat> so uh, anyway, he received every menial detail that uh, the company had. And when when I left to come back to the states, uh, he was still there in Saudi Arabia. I think he wound up getting six or eight years. Uh, at the U.S. Disciplinary Barracks in Fort Leavenworth. And, uh, you know, how much, how much bravery would it take just to show up and go with your unit? You know, do the honorable thing. Because six months later, we came back to parades, confetti, congratulations, and awards, you know, and, uh, he, he came back to the disciplinary barracks in Fort Leavenworth. So the point is, um, for if you talk about heroes, every one of my soldiers that showed up for movement, knowing that they were going downrange in harm's way, uh, to whatever degree, those are all the veterans that I go to the mat for. But the guys who show themselves to be cowards, you know, he didn't he didn't have the right to call himself a veteran, and nobody recognized him as a veteran. Uh, so <clears throat> that's what I have to say about that. Well, he deserves ostr- being ostracized. And, you know, none of us know what we're going to do when. And that's, that's what all the training is about. That's that is basic training that's 
uh, advanced training and to prepare the individual to be able to answer that question of what am I going to do when? And, um, you know, some of us have answered it and some of us haven't. And uh, been put in the position of having to answer the question. But, you know, it's still... Well, we still have the greatest people in the world that are in our military, in my opinion. And uh, I know my my son who is in, which I've mentioned this many times before, um, he has nothing but praise for his men. And uh, it, it goes up and down. He... he uh, He's very fortunate to have good leadership, and he's very fortunate to have good folks under him. And uh, he's very proud to be serving his country. And that's that's what it's all about. And, you know, people... Well, I can't. I can't address what other folks think, but there are a lot of folks that. Uh, well, what are you know? We're not at war. We're not. We don't need the military today. Oh yeah, you do. Well, you need them more today than you need them almost during a war. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't. The the guys that uh, that like yourself, David. I mean, you're, you're always telling me that you didn't serve in combat and didn't deploy. And I got that. But, you know, uh, this, uh, the, the point is that you signed up for that purpose to be used if necessary. You did the training. You uh, met all your obligations. And to me, those, those are the guys that receive as much honor as, uh, as those who deployed. Uh, and so, uh, I never, uh, you know, I would never, uh, look, uh, askance at the, the service of a National Guard or reservist, uh, because they're, they're signed up for the same thing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're subject to that same call that, uh, that the sheet metal mechanic, uh, had and, uh, you know, unless they prove otherwise, I consider them honorable. Well, I got to admit, it's still, and I'll pull it out every now and then just to, to dust it off, but it's nice to pull out that sheet of paper that is in a OD green pocket that says honorable discharge. Yeah. Well, there's something to it, and, it, and it, it, you know, it, it means something, and it should mean something. Um, and so that's uh, eh, part of why I like working with veterans and getting them the, uh, the benefits they've earned through their service. You know, I've got one of the greatest benefits, and I know I'm not the only person that can say this, but 
I remember it like it was last night. I was a little bit older than most of the people in my platoon, and uh, I was sitting on on the stoop of a World War II wooden barracks in Fort Ord, California. And this guy, this voice behind me said, well, I just graduated from Texas Tech. And that sounded like my mother, you know. Here's a guy with 3,000, I'm, I'm 2,000 miles away from home. And here's a guy that just graduated from the school in my hometown. And I whooped around and who said they just created? And I'm not going to mention Dan's last name, but since January of 1970, January the 7th to be exact, Dan and I have been best friends, and to this day we're best friends. And part of it was because we went through basic training together. Part of it was we could bitch together and talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. And, uh, you know, and we, we had some fun doing all of this. And that's... I blame it all on the Army. I met my best friend in life at Fort Ord, California. And I would venture to say, Phil, I'm not the only person in the world that has met met their best friend because of the military. Yeah, I'd have to say my best friend, Joe, uh, he and I served together uh, at Fort Hood. So, uh, very, uh, very glad for my service. Glad, glad to have met him. So, uh, yeah. And so, and you know, you, you're doing a job like that. You learn people that you can trust. And, uh, and when it comes to choosing a best friend, uh, that goes high on the list. Well, you know, as we've talked and and we'll continue to talk is that you know there's uh, you got the army teaches you to watch your back and and somebody's watching your back for you and you're watching somebody else's back and I think this is where the camaraderie the it's 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 hard to define it's just something that uh, builds into you but you know what's happened we're out of time thank you for today David oh thank you as always Phil and we'll talk to you very soon take care all right bye-bye the views opinions and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's web radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.